Didn't sound like I was going to preach this morning, but I got up yesterday morning and had devotion time, and the Lord told me I was to preach this morning and that he would bring forth the fruit from that preaching. So uh, I'm going to believe him for that. Father, in Jesus' name, we just commit this time to you, and we declare it's not by might nor by power, but by your Spirit. We claim your anointing upon the Word of God. I know and am persuaded that nothing that I can say shall change the life and heart of an individual. It has to be the power of the Spirit of God at work in their hearts. And I ask this morning that you would surround this building as you promised you would with the angels of the Lord, that they'd encamp round about us, and that the fear of the Lord would be present. And then, Father, that you would convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment, and cause us to see the urgency of committing our lives totally to you. We just commit this time to you in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. We have been talking about conviction number nine. My words must be in harmony with God's word, especially when reproving and restoring a Christian. The first part of that phrase is, my words must be in harmony with God's word. We've been talking about that for some time, saying again, and I, I reemphasize it, I want to emphasize this point again. It is so important for us to understand this. Satan's greatest weapon is to take from a believer his confession. Steal the word of God out of his heart. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. When we quit saying what God says, then it's hard to walk in together with the Lord because we're denying what he says. And he says, can two walk together except they agree? Jesus said nothing but what the Father said. The saints are to say nothing but what God has said. If we will speak what God says, it will come to pass. If we let Satan take away our positive confession and begin to confess that which is negative, what we say, the, we are snared by the words of our mouth. Last couple of weeks we've been talking about the different things that people say. And we'll get into them, but I just simply say we said, I fear, I lack, I am weak. Satan is too strong, I'm defeated, I'm dumb, I'm sick, uh, I'm experiencing worries and frustrations, and I'll always be in bondage. Now, I want to start this morning by saying again, don't ever say anything you wouldn't want to get. When thoughts come into your mind, and let me tell you, I, I can tell you from experience, I use this truth over and over in my own daily walk. That's not my thought. Now, you'll get many thoughts in your mind, but you must be able to decipher that which comes from the Lord, that which comes from the enemy. And when a thought comes into your mind that you know is contrary to the Word of God, if you have to say it outwardly, just declare, that's not my thought. I renounce that thought. That's not my thought. And then begin to ask the Lord to give you His thought on that subject. If you do that, you're going to begin to experience victory. Now, let me tell you something again. I told you last week, though, I'm talking about not just faith, but mustard seed faith, where you not only confess it, but you just let Satan know that if I have to confess this for the next 20 years, I'll do so, but I refuse to accept your thoughts, Satan. I'm going to confess what the Word of God says. The saints are supposed to do absolutely the opposite of that which is logical. The Scripture tells the saint, whenever a trial comes against him, to get down in the dumps, you know, pull his lower lip down and step on it, get totally discouraged and dump ashes all over his head and begin to crawl into the defeat hole. Isn't that what it says? Isn't that amazing? 
natural, the natural man says, boy, when everything comes against you, just duck and hold on. But the Word of God says that's the time to get excited and begin to shout and believe that God is getting ready to do something new in your life. Now, I know that isn't natural. Neither is walking on water. But Jesus said, you're not of the natural world. My thoughts are not your thoughts. His thoughts are so far above our thoughts. But if you'll do what I tell you to do at the time I tell you to do it, you will see victory sooner or later. I'm so thankful that this word is absolutely infallible. You know, it'd be wonderful if we could have all of our system and government established upon this word at one time, that was the basis for our government. Today it's all been inverted and twisted and turned around so no one knows what is right from wrong and they're calling wrong right and right wrong. Right, wrong. But once we have that as a foundation for our lives, we never have to question what's right or wrong. God's word is always right. And he says in the time of trouble and temptation and testing to rejoice. Look at Romans, the fifth chapter with me. Romans chapter five. Starts off by talking about being justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we've received, we have access now by faith into his grace whereby we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, verse 3. And not only so, but we, what? Glory. That's amazing. We glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. Now, by the way, that word tribulations, if you want to write it in there, you can. That's talking about pressures you can't handle. Tribulations are pressures you can't handle. He said, don't get discouraged when you come up against pressures you can't handle because that's going to begin a process in your life if you begin to rejoice, knowing that tribulation work is patience and patience, experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. For when we, we could go on and say, for when we were without strength in due time, Christ died to the ungodly. Now, he's saying we're justified by faith, and when we see these trials and tribulations come, we should begin to rejoice because they are going to start a process of strengthening us. Look at, with me at James, the first chapter. James chapter 1, right after the book of Hebrews. James chapter 1, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Greetings. Now, by the way, that word up there after James, a servant, that word again is doulos, which means a bond slave who is totally sold out and obedient to Jesus Christ. You'll find over and over again the apostles use that term to show the total resignation of them, their own lives and a total capitulation to the will of God. That's what it means when a person comes and acknowledges Jesus Christ as Lord. My brethren, count it all misery when you fall in. Is that what it says? My father-in-law will never forget it. I used to get so tickled over that. He used to say, Brother Joe, count it all joy when you fall in. And, uh, of course, I had to find that verse right quick when I finally realized he was quoting something to me. Count it all joy when you fall in. How many of you know what it is to fall in? <laughs> when everything seems to fall in. When the sinkhole of Florida he seems to hit you, everything falls in. Brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptation. Now, this doesn't necessarily always mean fall into the temptation of sinning a lustful thing. This is even talking about the opportunity that came to Abraham 
it's the same type of temptation that came to Abraham when God said to Abraham, take Isaac up on the mountain and sacrifice him. That was a tremendous test of faith for Abraham. His only son, born after the time when he should have been born, God says, Abraham, take your son up on the mountain. And Abraham didn't stutter or stammer or question. He was our father of faith, and he stepped out and took his son. And as they were going up the mountainside, Isaac said, Father, here is the wood, here is the knife, here is the fire, but where's the, where's the lamb? And because of Abraham's obedience, a prophecy came out of his mouth. He says, my son, God will provide himself a sacrifice. We know he did provide a sacrifice there, and a ram in the thickets caught by the horns. But that was prophetic that the day was coming when God would provide himself as a sacrifice for our sins. But that took faith, and that was a trial that Abraham had to walk through in order to prove that he was going to be the father of our faith. So it says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. When those times come, when God is going to prove us to see if we mean business with him. Whether when the sun comes up and the heat gets bad, whether we wither up and dry up and die, or we're going to spring forth and bring forth fruit. Let me tell you something. God will allow these times to come in our lives, these testings to come in our lives, to see if we really love him. Someone says, why did God let Adam be tempted? Because he didn't want a zombie or a robot that would serve him. He already had the angels in heaven serving him without question. He wanted someone that would serve him with their whole heart. How many of you would like to have a wife or a husband who would serve you because you knew they absolutely had to and had no choice in the matter? That wouldn't be too exciting, would it? Do you love me? I love you. You love me a lot. I love you a lot. After a while, you... That's why God allowed Adam to choose whether he would serve him or not. I would much rather know that my wife loves me and lives with me and fellowships with me and forgives me and gives to me and gives to me and gives to me, not because she knows she has to, but because she wants to. And I'll tell you something. She is going to get a purple, purple, purple heart when she gets to heaven after 24 years of having to do that with me. I thought, you don't have to agree with me. Praise the Lord. I thank the Lord that, that love is something that should be manifest. Love is not love until it's been tried. Did you hear me? It's one thing to say you love someone, but that love really is manifested when the opportunity comes to find out whether you do or not. Not just giving things to someone, but it's having a commitment to someone. Brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Knowing this, knowing, he keeps saying knowing this, I hope you know this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that she may be perfect or mature and entire, wanting nothing. You'll be mature. You'll be complete. Now, what he's actually saying here is if you don't go through trials and you don't go through testing and if you don't go through these hardships, you'll never mature. All you have to do is look at some parents today that say, well, I never had anything, so I want my kids to have everything. And those kids have never learned how to have to mature. I don't ever want to tell my children about any of our problems. I don't want them to know anything about anything about the difficulties. I don't want them to have to get out in the world and see what the world is really like. 
But one of these days they will when you can't protect them anymore and everything will bust loose on them and they won't be able to stand. God says, I, want, I don't want you just to be a little greenhouse plant, but I want to make you sturdy like an oak tree so that nothing will shake you. And the only way I can do that is to try you and test you and see if you mean business. You really love me. If you love me, it's going to cost you. It costs me. But it'll cost you a commitment to this thing. Know that when trials come, they're for a specific purpose. I'm trying to do a work in your life. First of all, rejoice when the trials come. Praise the Lord for them. Second, confess his word. There's the key. It's one thing to say, well, God, if that's what you want to do. Just go ahead and do it. Let's say, Lord, I thank you for this. I know it's a tribulation that I can't handle. I know it's beyond me. But I am so thankful that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. That no weapon that's formed against me will prosper. That my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I don't care what it looks like. That's what you said. And I'm in you. And I'm going to walk with you. And it will flow. And it will happen. Now again, you see, you've you got, you got a choice. You can either confess that or you can confess doubt and unbelief and fear. And as I said before, faith activates God and, and the fear activates Satan. You can just have whoever you want to turn around your, in your backyard. But as for me in my house, I just soon confess the word of God. Praise the Lord in your trials. Begin to confess the word and not your experience. I thank God this morning that what he said to me yesterday morning, I, I've been asking the Lord lately to let me learn to listen to him. And I wrote down some things yesterday he spoke to me about. And one of those things it was that I would preach. I really thought for a while that my voice was gone. There was no way I was going to preach. When he told me that yesterday morning, I said, I'm going to preach. Satan, I don't care what you say. I will preach tomorrow morning because he told me that I was to preach and that that fruit would come from that message. So from that time on, there wasn't any question whether I was going to have. I was kind of keeping my officers on, you know, on the hot seat for a little while here. I said, hope you guys got some notes ready, you know, and all this stuff. But, but I knew that down deep in my heart that I was going to preach this morning. I had to. God told me yesterday morning I could preach. And I began to confess his word. That his word is not contrary to his will, and his will is not contrary to his word. So, as you go through a trial, something that seems beyond you, you confess his word, and then wait to be delivered expectantly. Expectantly. That's so important. So many times I've seen some people go through it and say, Well, praise the Lord. I guess I just got to go through this thing. Praise the Lord. It just looks like God's really, really laying it on me this time. Instead of being able to say how I thank God that he has promised in his word that there's no temptation taking me but such as is common to man, but God is faithful who will not suffer me to be tempted above what I am able, and he will with that temptation make a way of escape so that I can bear it. And praise God, I'm looking around one of these moments that way of escape is going to come. He's going to let me out from under this thing. He has promised it, Lord. Your word is true, and I'm expecting that door any moment. I'm going to walk quietly before you, and I'm going to praise you, and I'm going to see it. And you're going to teach me what you want to teach me while I'm in this experience. I don't know about you, but I, even though I don't like to go through hard trials, that's when I learn the best lessons. And I don't too often ask the Lord to run that by me one more time. I say, Lord, well, I'm going through this time. Let me be a sponge. I want to absorb everything you've got for me in this one. I don't want to run that one by me again. But that's the blessings of being able to learn through a tribulation or a trial experience. And it will work. If you follow God's direction, that's so important. I remember one time when our hot water heater went out on us. You know, I talked about learning how to do little jobs around the house and save money. I went out there, and of course, 
I would take this wire off and I'd put a little piece of masking tape around it and write number one, point one, number two, point two, number three. I thought I had it all straight. I took the two heater elements out, went down, got two new heating, no, a thermostat. Went down, got the thermostat, brought them back, hooked them all up again and put the testers on there and I could get a little bit of power in each one of them, but it wasn't heating anything. I thought, this is crazy. I know I did this thing right. And I looked at tape number one, one, two, two, three, three, four, four, right down the line. All of them were right where they're supposed to be, but it wouldn't work. So I finally went down to the electrician's shop, and he gave me a drawing. Schematic? Is that the word? Schematic. All right, I brought the schematic back and looked at it, and I said, absolutely not. There is no way. Well, that's crazy. My wires weren't even bent that way. They couldn't possibly work that way. But I thought, well... That's what the manufacturer says. Do what he says and let's see what happens. So when I finally got all the wires hooked up the way he said they were supposed to be, I knew it was wrong. And so when I threw the switch, I stood back a little bit. And all I could hear was that little gurgling you know that you hear when those heating elements start heating up. Now, I knew that I was right, and I got a little bit of power when I did it my way, but I found out when I followed the manufacturer's schematics and handbook and directions that it always works right, because they made it. They ought to know better, you know? Well, can I tell you something? This is God's handbook or workbook of life, all right? And if you'll follow it, even though it doesn't seem right, it works every time. I tell you, I carry a whole library in my Bible there, don't I? Everything falls in every direction. Praise the Lord. Let me say it again. There is a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. The Scripture says that you and I can always justify ourselves as to why we do what we do, how we do it. But that doesn't make any difference. God is greater than we are, and He's the one that judges, and so everything must be judged according to God's manufacturer's handbook of life, the Word of God. Can I just try to get that through to you again this morning? It's the most important thing that we can hang on to. It doesn't make any difference what I think or what the way I think I should live or what I should do or that I may even think I've got things going pretty well. I got part of the flu of the uh, electric current going into that hot water heater and I was perking along. It, 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 maybe it would have heated it up a little bit, but it still didn't do what the manufacturer's handbook said I should do to get full force and full power into it. And you know, there are a lot of people going around with just a little trickle of truth going into their lives, but they've never really known what it is to have the power of God transform them completely. There's nothing more miserable in the world than for a person to be religious, person to, to want to go to church services, person to want to be involved in Christian circles somewhat, but miserable because they know they've never had the full surge and power of God in their life. It is just exactly like that hot water heater with a little trickle going into it. It has the power there that's supposed to do it, but they've never felt the full surge so that their life can be exactly what God wants it to be. And I want to tell you something. According to God's manufacturer's handbook on life, if help is required, if help, help is going to come to us, the first thing we have to do is be on speaking terms with God. Do you hear me? If God doesn't talk to you and you don't talk to God, you're not going to accomplish anything. Now, I want to say that to you because there are a lot of people that just feel, well, if I go to church, if I do the best I can, I'm going to make it through somehow, some way. But that isn't what the Word of God says. There are a lot of people who say, I just don't believe in God, Brother Webb. I pray and God never talks to me. I've prayed and prayed and prayed. He never answers. He never talks to me. I never get instruction. Well, first of all, 
we got to find out if we're alive. A lot of people say, well, God isn't even there because he doesn't answer me. Well, boy, that's a terrible conclusion. And a lot of people call my house and I don't answer, but I've never heard one of them say, I don't believe Brother Webb exists anymore. I just don't have an answer when you call. And that's the problem with many people who have called upon God and called upon God and called upon God and tried to, talk, tried to get an answer from them. First of all, the Word of God says you have to be on speaking terms with the Lord. He isn't dead. He just isn't listening. He said this to the children of Israel in the Old Testament when they were living in sin and disobedience. Isaiah 59, 2 said, Your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. There are times when God refuses to listen to a man. In the New Testament it says that there is such a thing as coming to a place where you can weep and cry and beg, and God still won't hear you. It'll be too late. Esau sold his birthright. And later, even though he begged and wept to get it back, it was too late. He lost his birthright. God didn't hear him anymore. The handbook says in order for God to hear you and me, the first thing that has to happen is not to go to church. The first thing that has to happen, and I say that because so many people will go out and try to invite people to come to church. God's Word says we're supposed to go out and to witness to them about Jesus Christ. People say, well, you ought to just come and hear our preacher preach. You ought to come and hear our preacher's wife play the piano. You ought to come and hear our choir sing. No. He says, you shall be witnesses unto me. Where you go and just, can I share with you what Jesus Christ really means to me? You might blow them clear out of the water. But if you do that, that's how people get saved. And that's the first step an individual has to have. Let me tell you something. If you don't know that you know that you know that you know you're saved, you're probably not saved. Salvation is that time when you, by an act of your will, repent of your sins. Did you hear that word? Repent of your sins. You see yourself as God sees you. You recognize that it's those sins that, have, that placed Jesus Christ on the cross and those sins that are going to send you to hell if you don't turn from them and trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Master of your life. Now, this experience of salvation can be a very humbling thing. You know, I know there are some people that just say, just, just put a little check on a card and you can join our church, but that doesn't mean a thing to me. Every time I saw Jesus ministering publicly, I always saw that Jesus demanded that a person step out before everyone and make it clear and public that he was trusting Christ. He had a man that was in one of the meetings that was standing there like this. And Jesus saw him standing there. And he said, uh, you, come forward. Man, step forward. He said, uh, put your hand forth. He had a withered hand in his pocket. Put your hand forward. He said, uh, Brother, tell you about my education. No, stick your hand forward. Lord, can I tell you about my profession? I want you to know I'm a professional man and uh, well-respected in the community here. Put your hand forward. Lord, I don't want anyone to see this hand. I keep it in my pocket all the time because I'm embarrassed. I'm ashamed of this. Put that hand forward. It doesn't make any difference who we are or what we are. Jesus isn't the least bit impressed as to who we are or what position we have. He wants to deal with that thing that's crippling us. He said, thrust your hand forth. And when he put his hand forth, that withered hand was like new again. Jesus came to a rich young, had a rich young ruler come to him and said, Good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he began to name off the different things. He said, these things I've done ever since I was a child. 
Sound like some Baptist I know. Jesus says, well, let me touch the sore spot. He said, take all that you have and give it to the poor and come and follow me. Oh, he said, Lord, not that. I've lived very good all my life and you've prospered me and now look at all these wonderful riches that I have. Lord, you've given all these, surely you would want me to give all these good things away. I would lose my position in the community and I couldn't be the witness that you want me to be in the community for you. But Jesus knew that this man had covetousness in his heart. And you remember the same verse that says the adulterer shall not inherit the kingdom of God says the covetous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And that young man may have done all the right things and gone to church and done all, kept all these other commandments, but he had covetousness in his heart and he couldn't be saved of that covetousness. Had he given it up and followed after Jesus Christ, I believe the Lord could have given him a hundredfold back or more, a hundred times back what he lost. But all Jesus was doing was showing him where the withered hand was to show him what he needed to deal with before he could be saved. Now, I don't know what it is in your life or mine that God wants to deal with, but I'll tell you one thing. You'll never get anywhere with him, and he'll never talk with you any further until you pull out that withered hand or let him deal with that covetous heart or that immoral heart or whatever it is. He says, I can't talk to you on any other grounds until we get to the bedrock problem. You need to be saved. There's only two conditions in this world, beloved, and that's saved and lost. Alive and dead. And God says, I don't talk to the dead, I talk to the alive. And if you're not saved, then make a difference. How much we read this and how much we pray, God says, I'm not listening. Your sins have separated you from me. Oh, that you'd come, that you might have life and have it abundantly. That's the first step, and you won't have victory until you get past that first step. And then the second thing is by faith, turning and declaring that from this day forward, in every area of your life or my life, Jesus Christ is absolute Lord. You know, I could stay on that for so long, I don't have the time to, but this is where it's being missed today. In the churches, it's being missed today. What does it mean to be a Christian? Don't believe in Jesus. What does it mean to be a Christian? Believe in Jesus and get baptized and tithe. Dear heart, this is where it's at. Making Jesus Lord. To where, if I had a hammer and a nail, I think I'd pound it in the wall today to show you what I'm trying to say. You come back here and you find that place where you repent of your sins and you drive a stake in that wall and you say, as of this date, as of this moment, as of this hour, I confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of every area of my life. That's where I did it, right there. That's the time, that's the hour, that's the day. For me, next week will be the 30th anniversary of the day I committed my life totally to Jesus Christ. Now, as I've walked through life day by day, these 30 years, every once in a while, an occasion comes up to me to make a decision one way or another. And it's as I said before, I never have to make a decision anymore. I simply act on that decision. You see how much easier it is to, once you've done that? I said back there that Jesus Christ is Lord of my life. Now, every decision after that is based upon, well, how does that fit into that decision I made? All right, Jesus is Lord, therefore, and the decision's made. Well, that makes it easy. You know what happens in most cases, though? People believe in Jesus. Even Satan believes and shakes. And they start walking through life, and a, a, a decision comes up. They say, well, now what am I going to do in this situation? Boy, that'll mean I have to cut out some of the church services. It means I won't be able to tie this week. Uh, well, I have to decide on this now. Boy, you talk about confusion and a mess. Jesus said, I'm coming that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And he says that he has given us has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. A sound mind is one that's based upon a deep-seated conviction and basis upon which a man can operate. 
When and where did we make that decision back there? When did we drive that stake and say, as of this, from this time on, Jesus Christ, I make him Adonai, supreme master of my life. I give him every area of my life, the social, the physical, the every area, all my possessions, all my relationships, everything. Lord, they're yours. My talents are yours. My ambitions are yours. I want to be exactly what you want me to be. Now, the only reason I'm saying all this is because a lot of people want to hear from God. And until you come to that place and you make that declaration, God is not hearing and moving in your life. Once you make that commitment, the Scripture says, first of all, that the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, will cleanse you from all your sins. Second, it says that His Spirit, His Holy Spirit, will enter in and witness with your spirit that you are a child of God. Let me just say something to you. There are some people today that know that they're Christians, and there are others that hope they are Christians, and there are others that know they aren't. But if you ever talk to those that hope they are and begin to share the Word of God with them, before long they'll have to say, I know that I've never really been saved because I have tried so hard to live the Christian life and it hasn't worked because I just believed. It's great to believe, but if you believe the whole Word of God, the salvation verses in the scripture are not John 3, 16. They're Romans 10, 9, and 10. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth Jesus Christ as Lord and believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. What salvation? Salvation that from this day forward Jesus is Lord of my life. Can I tell you something from 30 years' experience? Until that happens in your life, you've never known joy. You've never known peace. You've never known what confidence is. His Spirit comes and bears witness with you that you know that you know that you know you've been born again. And then He declares to you that you've been born into the family of God. Heirs of God, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Isaiah 58, 9 says, Then shalt thou call, and the Lord will answer. Thou shalt cry, and He shall say, here am I. I appreciate what Jesus said in John 16, 24. Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. Now ask, and you shall receive, that your joy may be full. To the saint, this is the only thing that I know the Scripture speaks of. If I regard iniquity in my heart, God will not hear my prayer as a believer. But if I don't, if I, if I do not allow or allow iniquity and unconfessed sin in my life, God will hear my prayer. And if he hears my prayer, I have the petitions that I ask of him, right? I'm only going by the manufacturer's handbook of life. That's what the Word says. The main difference is what I feel. That's what the Word says. And if the Word says it, that's where I want to be. I know that there's a lot of Christians that think that God has just shut them off completely and that God isn't flowing, God isn't functioning with them anymore. There's just no life there. It's like the fellow thought his telephone lines were burned out one time, weren't working, he called the telephone company, he found that an old owl had landed on one of the telephone lines and had fallen across the wind, had blown him across, and he touched the power line and shorted it out. And once they got the old owl off the telephone line, the lines worked again and their phone was fine. And a lot of people have some old owls sitting on top of their telephone lines, shorting out the messages to God, and God says, you'll clean out the owls, I'll hear you again. Get the sin and deal with it. So it'll be any short-circuiting. Once those lines are up again and God's listening to you again, make sure that you're saying what he's saying. If you ask anything according to my will, if you delight yourself in the Lord, he will give thee the desires of thine heart. 
make sure what you're saying, because what you say is what you're going to get. First John 3.22 says, And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him, because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Not just what he commands, but he says, We do those things that are pleasing in his sight. We try to please the Lord. We try to do those things that we know will bring honor to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let me tell you again, if you're dead in sin, that's not an easy thing to do. In fact, you can't do it. All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. So if we're going to try to please God, we can't please God in the flesh. We've got to please Him in the Spirit by walking in the Spirit and obeying the Word of God, obeying the voice of God. I just want to ask you this morning, one of the most important questions that can possibly be asked a person, do you know that you know that you know that your relationship with the Lord is such that if you were to die this moment based upon the fact that back there, whenever it was, there was a time when you committed your life totally to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, that you know where you'd go. Nowhere in the Scripture does it say that believing gets us to heaven. The Scripture says we preach repentance toward God and faith or believing in our Lord Jesus Christ. We turn from our sins and turn to Jesus Christ for the cleansing of our lives and commit our lives totally into the hands of Jesus Christ that he will be Adonai. What Peter say? Peter, a bond slave of Jesus Christ. You want to communicate with God? You want to get from God those things that he has for you? Then you have to be on speaking terms with him, and that means you have to be saved. And once you're saved, you have to walk in obedience to him, letting him be in control of your life. And then the things that begin to flow. I read this week in a book called Breakthrough by Sarah Trollinger, a lady who's attended the church here several times and has done much in the area of counseling and deliverance, that one time I believe she said she had a dream or someone had a dream that they went to heaven and the Lord just gave them a tour all over heaven but didn't open one door. And when they got all through this, she said, Lord, why did you show me all of heaven but... You wouldn't open that door right there. He said, well, he said, that, but that's because that particular room holds all the blessings that I had for you in life if you would have only believed me for it and confessed them through. And I didn't want you to be sad to see what you missed during your life on earth because you didn't confess what my word said. basic convictions by which they operate that our churches are lost. We have no hope. A church can be no stronger than the home. Now that's why many homes today, Christian homes today, are constantly in turmoil because they have never established and said, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Here is what we believe God's Word says. Here we stand and we will not move. If that were to take place in every church, that church would be like a solid rock. If we didn't have to say, well, I know that brother and sister such and such believe this, but over here, you can't talk to them about this particular thing because they're just not open to that. And so we've talked about the ten basic convictions. I didn't bring the overhead transparency today. I'm sure that most of you know that we're talking about my words must agree with God's word, be in harmony with God's word. 
What I say as a believer should always be in harmony with God's Word. If not, how can two walk together except they be agreed? And so consequently, many Christians today are having continuous vacillation up and down mountain peaks and valleys because one moment they're speaking fear and doubt and unbelief and the next moment they'll speak faith and then as soon as something comes against them, they're again speaking doubt and unbelief. And if Satan can take and snatch from us the positive confession and conviction of God's Word, he then has an opening to us, a landing place, as Paul says in the book of Ephesians, where he can operate and begin to disrupt our Christian experience. So it's very important for us to realize, if you don't want it, don't say it. Don't be confessing unbelief and sickness and doubt and weakness and fear and ignorance and all these things. Don't be confessing those things. Confess what the Word of God says, that I have the mind of Christ, that God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. So the success formula for a believer, and it's something that you must renew your mind daily on. It's not something that you're just going to fall into. It's a case that Paul spoke of in Romans, the 12th chapter. First of all, that you commit your body, a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, and then don't let the world squeeze you into its own mold, as one translation has it, Philip's translation. By the renewing of your mind, by God through the Holy Spirit, by the Word of God, let it renew your mind so you don't talk like you once talked. You begin to speak faith so that when the world looks at you, they can see that that which is of God is good and acceptable and perfect. That when you walk in the will of God and speak the will of God, that the end result is you don't have to be ashamed, but God's blessing is upon you, and those things begin to follow after you that God has promised in His Word. So the first thing is for that success formula is that you, when you go through times of trial and temptation, that you praise the Lord. Get excited. When that trial and temptation comes, God's Word says in the book of James that that's God's opportunity for you to be able to prove to you His power in your life. Instead of saying, oh, here it comes again, this night time, I know I'm going under for sure, be able to say, thank God, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against the enemy, and I'm expecting God to raise up a standard in this situation and cause me to be more than conqueror through him that loved me. Now, you know something that's just as easy to say as to say, I'm going under. It just depends on how your believer is working. And the Scripture says our believers should be confessing what God confesses. When trials and tests come, it's not for oh me and oh my and grumbling and groaning, but rather it says rejoice, for great is your reward in heaven. Tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience and experience hope. God says, I am beginning to build and stabilize and strengthen you through these experiences. So first of all, praise the Lord for your trials. Confess the Word of God for that situation. Get into the Word of God. See what it says about the trial or testing or tribulation you're going through. Find out if anyone else has ever gone through the same thing. If no one else that you can read in the Scriptures has, you can believe that Jesus did because it said He was tempted in all manner like as we, yet without sin. So, Lord, you understand this situation and you brought it into my life for a purpose and I'm going to thank you for it and I'm going to confess your word that you said you'll not let anything overwhelm me but you'll make a way of escape so that I can bear it and I'm going to be looking for that way of escape and I'm going to be expecting that way of escape. And that's the third thing. Expect to be delivered and confess your deliverance. 